Father in heaven, I do thank you for your holy Sabbath day. Lord, I thank you for those who are here. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would be present to give us understanding in spiritual things. Lord, we need your Spirit more than ever. And we're going to be talking about this, that this evening, so I pray that the Holy Spirit would be present to give us understanding in spiritual things as we've never had it before. For I ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we've been talking about the three angels' messages. And could I go to the next slide, please? Uh, this statement I've used in each presentation. There are a number of statements that are similar to this, but I've just narrowed it down. I think I told you the other night, and some of you were not here for that, but those who were, I don't know which night it was. Uh, I, tend to, I, I, I tend to be tempted to be very thorough with things. And so it's hard for me sometimes to know what to narrow down and cut out because there's like, okay, I'm preparing the notes, and wow, this is a good statement, and this one, and this one, and let's do all of them. And so I've cut out, and I narrowed it down to this particular one from Testimonies, Volume 9, page 19. It says, in a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the what? The last warning for a perishing world on them is shining. Notice, folks, it isn't entrusted to anybody but us. And you'll hear different. You'll say, hey, you know, all Christians are preaching. No, they're not all preaching it. Because God did not entrust the message to all Christians. I'm not denouncing, I'm not denigrating other Christians. I'm saying there are things God has entrusted to us that he did not entrust to somebody else. If I put a note in your hand and tell you to take it to somebody, I'm not telling you you're better than the person you're taking it to, but the fact remains that the note's in your hand. And this note from God is in our hand. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining wonderful light from the word of God. They have been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angel's messages. There is no other work of so great importance. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. Let's go to the next slide there. Um, this is a portion of one I shared earlier and I want to highlight the, the part in yellow, the light that Christ revealed to his servant, the prophet, is for us. In his revelation are given the three angels' messages and a description of the angel that was to come down from heaven with great power, lightening the earth with his glory. I shared this this morning. That angel that's being described is the angel we find in Revelation 18. And what's being depicted there is what we call the loud cry of the third angel and the outpouring of the latter rain. And it, 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 when I read that in here, I thought, now I could do, we could do a whole, I'm going to fight this this evening. I could do a whole seminar on the Holy Spirit in the latter rain. But I didn't feel right excluding it from the three messages because of the way it's placed here. And because if you understand, and maybe you don't, but you will by the end of this presentation, that loud cry angel is something that joins itself or joins himself to the three angels to give the power to finish the work. And, and we'll, you'll see what that means as we go on. But Ellen White brings it into this context. She says there are the three angels and a description of the angel that was to come down from heaven with great power, lightening the earth with his glory. The world is to be warned by the proclamation of this message. That proclamation has to include this fourth angel or this other angel. So you've got to know something about it if you're going to share it with people. 
If we blanket it, if we hide our light under a bushel, if we so circumscribe ourselves that we cannot reach the people, we are answerable to God for our failure to warn the world. Next slide, please. Now, I believe this... uh, Which hall is it that I saw this in? Some of you know this is in Wright Hall, right? And it's... That's portrayed as here at Southern Adventist University, is it not? And, and I, I, well, the first time I saw this picture, I was praising the Lord, and I'll tell you why. Seventh-day Adventist colleges used to be understood as missionary colleges. They were even named missionary colleges, right? This used to be Southern Missionary College, Washington Missionary College, Emmanuel Missionary College. And so you don't get the wrong idea, because people do all the time. Adventists say, oh yeah, we used to only train people for ministry. Wrong! A missionary college meant when you went to school to be a nurse or an architect or whatever else, first and foremost, you knew you were carrying the last message of mercy to a dying world. And so when you went into your role as a doctor or as a nurse or as an architect, you were going in kind of undercover. You know, because secretly you were going in and you're presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what this picture is portraying by Nathan Green. That's what he was capturing. Here's Jesus. Here's a man who looks like he's training for ministry. But behind him are all of these other students who are going into all different fields. But Jesus is not sending one. He's sending all of them. And I don't want you to miss this. I'm excited you have this outreach coming up in November. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't want to take away from that. But I want to comment on something that I'm concerned about. There's a lot of work that we're doing as Seventh-day Adventists that is more, for lack of a better expression, social gospel work. We're going to meet the needs of people. We're going to go into the communities. We're going to feed them. We're going to clothe them. Hey, that's a good work. We should be doing it as Christians. But I'm going to tell you something that you may not be aware of. There are a lot of Seventh-day Adventists that are using that to supplant the giving of the three angels' messages. Why? Because it's kind of awkward to talk to somebody about this whole Sabbath thing and the mark of the beast and try to prepare them for this. It's much easier to give them a sandwich. And they're going to appreciate you a lot more when you just give them a sandwich. Nobody's going to get offended at you because you gave them a sandwich. Even if it's not their favorite sandwich. But I want you to understand something. If that's all we do, and I'm not saying we don't do it, But if that's all we do, at the end of the day, all we have are a bunch of well-fed, well-clothed people that are going to hell. To be blunt. I know we don't believe in eternal burning hell, but we still know, by inspiration, there's a heaven to win and a hell to shun. There are people who are not going to make it. So the warning message that we have, I don't want you to think of it as an optional thing. You know, it's probably important. I should get around to that. It's not getting around to it. People will be lost if they don't hear the message. We are coming to a time in Earth's history where all humanity is going to be tested. And the one who, I'm not, it's not the hired guns who are doing the, 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 it's not just the pastors who are the ones that are called to give the message. As Seventh-day Adventists, we understood that that's what we all are. We're all the ministers of Jesus Christ to give this message. And don't lose that. That's why I'm talking about the three angels' messages. These messages are essential. Nothing else should absorb our attention. So when we're going out and ministering to people's needs, which we should, don't lose the reality that somewhere in the mix, and it's not the first time, it's not that I first time I sit down with somebody, I'm going to roll out to them the 28 fundamentals. The idea is that my, I'm going to have an intention somewhere in that process. I've got to help them to understand the truth for this time. That's what we are called to do. 
And when I talk about that calling, something that should flow right along is that other angel that Ellen White talks about. Because what that other angel's pointing to is the gift of the Holy Spirit that was given to the church for just that purpose of finishing and fulfilling the commission of Jesus. You know, we've talked about building character this week, and we've talked about examining our own relationship with Jesus, and we've talked about the decisions that we ought to be making as Christians, but I really hope you understand, and if you don't understand yet, by the end of tonight, I hope you understand that there's not a single thing I've talked about that you can do on your own. Not a single thing. Unless we have the power of the Holy Spirit, Christianity is something that we'll never understand, much less live. The reason the Spirit was given was to help unspiritual people become spiritual people. That's what it means to be spiritual. The Holy Spirit comes in and transforms the life. And so when we're talking about living the Christian life, which we should, we've got to remember the promise of the Spirit. And Jesus gave this promise to his disciples in a number of places. Now I want you to go with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. And this is just one of many places, and I have whittled this down, and maybe not as far as I should have. I'm going to share with you a lot of statements from inspiration tonight, and I'm going to tell you, I make no apologies for that. God has given us the pen of inspiration to give us the encouragement we need at a time in this earth's history when darkness is beginning to cover the earth. There are wonderful promises. In fact, I would encourage you, just for a side reading, if you're one of those people who says, I don't know what to read in my devotions, I'll just give you something that you can work on this week. And it's a chapter in Desire of Ages called Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. Oh, it's one of the most powerful and encouraging chapters you'll ever read in your life. And it, much of it has to do with the gift of the Holy Spirit. I have some of that, very, very little of that in, in this presentation tonight. But in Acts chapter 1, Jesus gave his disciples a promise. It wasn't the first time he gave it. We go to John and look in John chapter 14 through 16. But in Acts chapter 1, I want you to notice what Jesus says in chapter four, uh, 1 verse 4. Acts 1 and verse 4 says, And being assembled together with them, he, Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Now, why would Jesus say, hey, wait for the promise of the Father? Wait, wait to do what? What were they going to do after they get the promise from the Father? He said, wait. So, in other words, why wouldn't they be waiting? What might they be running ahead to do? Go out and proclaim the gospel, right? Because Jesus left in that commission too. Go and tell, preach all uh, uh, preach the gospel to all nations, go teach all nations, baptize them, etc., etc. But he says, before you go, wait. Why would he tell them to wait? Shouldn't they just get out and start at it? There's a whole world to warn. There's a whole world that doesn't know the gospel. Why would he tell them to wait? We can't, we can't do it by ourselves. He wanted them to understand that you... Two things. You can't do it by yourself, but if you wait... You're going to receive power, and the power you receive, nothing will limit you. There are two important things for us to understand as Christians. One, I think we're getting pretty good today. We say, hey, I can't do that by myself. We live in the, we live in the let go and let God generation. We, to the point, you know, you hear it all the time. We can't do anything in our own strength. Well, that's true. But what that has done for many of us is it's kept us from doing anything. We say, well, we can't earn anything by doing good works. That's true, but that doesn't mean you don't have to work. 
My kids can't earn my love by their obedience or disobedience. I'm going to love them anyway. I'm their parent. But that doesn't mean I don't expect them to obey. Just because their obedience doesn't earn anything. You understand what I'm saying? Christ expects us to, do, to carry out the commission. You say, we can't carry it out ourselves. That's right. That's why he gave the Holy Spirit. And he said, wait. Tarry in Jerusalem. Verse 6 says, therefore, when he, they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, I could go on about this. That just tells us these guys still didn't fully understand the mission, did they? They thought Jesus was going to come. The Messiah is going to come and conquer the Romans, right? Or, uh, he was going to conquer the Romans and set them up as an earthly kingdom. You remember that? That's what they had thought. Well, that wasn't his mission. But here, here they are. Okay, now is it time. Now is it time. They didn't fully understand. You know how many Seventh-day Adventists are waiting until they fully understand to go out and tell anybody? I hear it all the time. Pastor, I don't know enough. I'm not going to ask if you've ever said it. I'm sure you heard it. Well, I don't know enough. I've trained a lot of people, and there's a question I still can't answer. And I don't think you can answer it either. How much is enough? How much, what's the magic tipping point? What's the point where you read something in the Bible and you're like, ding, okay, now it's time. Now I can go and witness. That time's never going to come. There's always going to be things you don't understand. The disciples didn't understand everything. It's obvious right here, but what did Jesus say? I want you to go, but before you go, I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. And he said to them in verse 7, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and what? To the end of the earth. And unless you've not noticed this before, these are concentric circles starting at home. You start the closest to you, right? Jerusalem, right where they were. And then all Judea, you know, you're broadening out. And then Samaria and then the world. You know, we have a responsibility to those closest to us, don't we? If we know Christ, we have a responsibility to those closest to us. But our responsibility does not end there. That circle of influence should widen. And this is what Jesus said. And he said, you're going to receive power to do what I'm telling you to do. Doesn't matter how incapable you might feel. You're going to receive power. Now let me ask you something. If a person has faith in the words of Jesus, what are they going to do? What if I hear what Jesus says, but I don't feel capable? What am I going to do if I have faith? Tell me. I'm going to recognize I'm not capable, and I'm going to what? He said, go, and I'm going to go. He says, you're going to receive power to go and be witness, and I'm going to go be a witness. It doesn't matter how I feel about it. Faith goes beyond feeling. Faith transcends feeling. Faith says, I may feel this way, but Jesus said this, and I believe what he says regardless how I feel. Yes or no? If it was all about feeling, I wouldn't need faith. But the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. Not by feeling, not by our senses. Jesus said, go, and he promised power. And what do you find in the early church? We find they receive power, don't we? Let's go to the next slide and check this statement out. From the book Desire of Ages, it says, and I think it's the chapter I referred to, the Holy Spirit was what kind of gift? The highest of all gifts that he, Jesus, could solicit from his Father for the exaltation of his people. You know, he gave us the highest gift. He didn't just give it to them. He gave it to you sitting here tonight. The highest of all gifts he could solicit from his father for the exaltation of his people. The spirit was to be given as a what? 
regenerating agent. Notice the next part. And without this, the sacrifice of Christ would have been of no avail. That's an amazing statement. The sacrifice of Christ would have been of no avail. Why? Because part of that is the Holy Spirit making that sacrifice alive in our lives. The resurrection of Christ becomes a resurrection in our life when I am crucified with Christ and then Christ lives in me. Without this, the sacrifice of Christ would have been of no avail. The power of evil had been strengthening for centuries and the submission of men to this satanic captivity was amazing. Sin could be resisted and overcome only through the what? The mighty agency of the third person of the Godhead who would come with no modified energy, but in the what? Fullness of divine power. I don't think any one of us fully grasps that tonight. That tells us that Jesus, he was, he was priv- felt privileged to give to you and me the highest gift that he could. No modified energy, the fullness of divine power. Did you know the fullness of divine power is accessible to you tonight? That's what it says. That's what Jesus gave to you and to me through the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting to me, we get into, Christian, we get into debates in the Adventist church about sin and how long we're going to be sinning. I'm not going to get into all that, but I'm going to ask you a question. How big is your God? Our devil's a lot bigger than our God a lot of times. We talk about all our weaknesses. Sure, we're weak. We talk about all our failures. Sure, we have failures. How powerful is God? Let me ask you this question. You think anybody's going to be sinning in heaven? How many of you think people are going to be sinning in heaven? Do you think sinners are going to heaven? Maybe that's it. You don't think sinners are going to heaven? No, are there sinners going to heaven? Do you hope to get to heaven? Are you a sinner? But you don't think you're going to be sinning in heaven. Who's going to stop you? Who's going to stop you from sinning? You better know the answer to that one. Okay, God, Jesus, either one of those will work, right? So if he's going to stop you, is he allowed to stop you whenever he wants to? Just let that sink in. He's not limited in what he can do. Unless you don't believe what he can do. So what is the book of Acts known for? What do we find in the book of Acts? Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what happened? The Bible says they gathered in that upper room and they prayed. You know why? Because they sensed the need of what Jesus was telling them they needed. I mean, Jesus tells us we need the Holy Spirit. But how many times, how often do we come together and pray for that? They gathered in the upper room. You know why? Because he said, you've got to go and warn the whole world. And they looked at the world and they said, we're 12 guys. Actually, 11 guys until they went and got Matthias. But you had Matthias and you had the 12 again in in, in Acts chapter 2. There are 12 guys. They're praying there. They got 120 in the upper room. They take the 120. We got to warn the entire world? If I just put that on this church here, how many do we seat here? What's the capacity? How many people sit in this church? Thousand? About a thousand. Let's call it a thousand people. If I said to this church, you, your job is to warn the whole world, you'd be like, oh, right? You're 120. You've got to warn the whole world. They said that's impossible. And yet, you know what? Here's the, here's the odd thing. They knew it was impossible, but they believed it was their job anyway. And so the only place they could go is to their knees and say, Lord, you've got to make it possible. You've got to make it happen. And the Lord answered their prayer, didn't he? 
You read in Acts chapter 2, and the church, the growth of the early church, it exploded in growth. The 120 became 3,000. Let's take our 1,000 here. Okay? In one day, 3,000. Incidentally, when the Bible counts the 3,000 in a day, it only counted the men. It didn't count the women and children. So you can easily double it. 6,000 people. Okay? So here the College of Yale Church has 1,000 a day, 6,000 tomorrow. They had 120. 1,000 a day, 6,000 tomorrow. Are you excited about that? Hold on a minute. Kind of. But now you've got to figure out where they're going to park. You've got to figure out where they're going to... Where, the, where are you going to put all those kids in Sabbath school classes? Where are the people going to sit? That's a good problem to have, isn't it? But you think about that. That's what happened in the early church. And that was just on Pentecost. And the number kept growing. And what's amazing is in the early church, that growth drove the need for organization. It's, it's fascinating. I don't even have time going, on, going off on a tangent. Today we do it backwards. We wait until the leadership tells us what we need to do. When Jesus already told us what to do, go preach the gospel. I'm not saying to disrespect the leadership. I'm simply saying Jesus has given us commission. And the early disciples followed that commission. And Jesus told them to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And that promise was sure. Jesus didn't back out on the promise. We see the power of the Holy Spirit working through the church. We see the Holy Spirit poured out in a number of places. We see miracles being wrought. We see the sick healed. We see dead raised. We see lame people walking. Peter and John walk into a temple. They weren't even intending on healing the man. They're walking into the temple. And the man gets their attention. He's asking for alms. Peter says, we don't have anything. And the Spirit comes upon him, and he says, hey, listen, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. Why don't you take up your bed and walk? Wow, I'd take that over silver and gold any day. Folks, the guy goes to church like you go to church, and there's a lame man, and at the end of the day, the lame man's walking. By the power of the same Holy Spirit, that will work in you and me today. So we see this in the New Testament church. Now, I'm not going through all of the different places in the church. We're going to see some things as we move on. But I want you to go to the book of Deuteronomy. Now, the Bible used an illustration. Well, there was a reality of the early and latter rain. So let's look at that in Deuteronomy. How many of you heard the terms early and latter rain? Okay, most Seventh-day Adventists have heard those terms. Deuteronomy 11:13. <clears throat> and here the Bible speaks... In a literal sense, and probably with a spiritual application as well. But in Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13, this is what the Bible says. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then... I will give you the rain for your land in its season. The what? The early rain and the latter rain. Now, the early and the latter, they're tied to certain seasons. I'll talk about that in a minute. That you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves lest your heart be deceived. And you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you. And he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain and the land yield no produce. And you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. 
Lord says, if you are faithful and you obey me, I'm going to send you the rain. But if you turn to follow other gods, I'm going to hold back the rain. I told you it was literal and probably spiritual as well. Now, just so you understand, the early rain, literally, was the autumn rain that would come before the winter crop. The way that they planted in Palestine, the early rain was the rain that would come right at the time of the planting of the seeds. It was the initial boost to get the little seed to begin the plant, to begin growing. So it was the beginning of the harvest cycle. And in a land dependent upon rain, the seed would not sprout unless the rain fell in its season. It was so important to have that rain in its season. That was the early rain that the Bible speaks of here. But the Bible also speaks about the latter rain in its season, and that was the harvest rain that would come right before the harvest. Now, I want to really emphasize that in a little bit. I'm going to come to the harvest rain in a minute. But let's talk about the early rain imagery on Pentecost, because Pentecost was the spiritual application of the early rain. What was the early rain to do, the literal early rain? What did I just say? Okay, it wasn't just preparing the ground, it was helping the seed to sprout or germinate, right? It was the initial growth. Let me ask this, can you and I have initial spiritual growth without the Holy Spirit of God? No. So the the whole idea of being born again would be similar or tied into that idea of the early rain. That's when the Spirit first comes into the life and you have that first renewal. You're not going to have any renewal without it. And, and so on the day of Pentecost, you had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the early church. And we see throughout the early church evidences of the Holy Spirit, not just in the miracles and what have you. Jesus referred to the whole concept of being born again through the Spirit, right? As essential. Nobody enters the kingdom of God unless they're born of the Spirit, of water and the Spirit. I want you to go to John 14 and look at the promise Jesus made to his disciples there of the, the one he, he would send called the helper or the comforter, depending on the translation you're reading, John 14 and verse 15. You can probably quote John 14, 15 for me. If nothing else, if I started it, if you love me, Oh, you know that one. Now, notice what it goes on to say. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father. And he will give you another, what? Helper or comforter, again, depending on the translation you're reading. That he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. He is going to come to them through the the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to send you another helper, speaking of someone besides himself. Now, what's that implying? Why do you send a helper to somebody? Well, to help them. To help them what? What was Jesus giving the Spirit for? What was he telling his disciples here? What's he telling you and me in this passage? You don't have to try to live the Christian life by yourself. You don't have to overcome sin by yourself. You don't have to wrestle against your bad habits by yourself. I'm going to send you another helper. Oh, who are you going to send? Some weak guy who doesn't know a lot. Who doesn't know I'm going to send you the Spirit of God. Who has no limit to his power. Hey, that's the kind of helper I want. Right? Don't send me a helper that can't help me. Jesus didn't slack off on giving a helper. He gave us, as we read, the greatest 
gift that he could. The spirit of truth, he called him. Now, Ellen White has an interesting statement here. I'm going to go to the next slide on this spirit of truth. The comforter is called the spirit of truth. His work is to, notice, define and maintain the truth. To define and maintain the truth. I'm going to fight real hard not to go off on a, on a whole other subject here. Or maybe not a whole other subject. Jesus said, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. The Spirit's job is to define and maintain the truth. Let me read on what it says here. He first dwells in the heart as the Spirit of truth, and thus he becomes the comforter. There is comfort and peace in the truth, but no real peace or comfort can be found in falsehood. Now I want you to understand that. When I get a paycheck and I go to the bank... You know what relativism is, right? What's true for you may not be true for me. This is really popular in our world today. That's all. And, and it was, I think, John Piper who said, he, who's a, uh, uh, I think he's Presbyterian evangelist or what have you, author. He said, you know, that goes down everywhere except for at the divorce attorney in the bank, I think he said. You go to the bank, all of a sudden, two plus two better equal four, buddy. Right? My check says this amount. Don't go tell me, oh, it may be 500 to you, but it's only 150 to us here at the bank. All of a sudden, I'm not real happy with that relative thinking. I'm happy when it works in my favor. There's no comfort in ambiguity. The world that we live in, and we say this all the time, I hear this all the time, we live in a postmodern world. People, they don't want truth. That's not true they don't want truth. It's what they're offered is a bunch of nonsense. They want truth because truth brings comfort. And it's interesting here from the pen of inspiration that truth comes, go back a slide again, truth comes from the comfort comes from knowing there's something stable. Knowing I can count on something. There's comfort in the truth, but no real peace or comfort in falsehood. Now notice the work of the Holy Spirit is to define and maintain the truth. When we come together and we're just like, well, I see it this way and you see it that way. Well, that's great. How are we going to come to a oneness of the truth? Well, the Holy Spirit brings it. You know what the Holy Spirit uses? Among other things, the gifts of the Spirit. You know what one of the gifts of the Spirit is? The gift of prophecy. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that Seventh-day Adventists that still believe in the gift of prophecy have some kind of strange confidence, something called the truth. But the Seventh-day Adventists who, they may even claim to, but they say, well, you know, but Ellen White shouldn't mean this over here, and she doesn't mean this over here. Guess what? There, anything goes. Folks, I'm telling you, this is the time we live in, but the Lord gave this Holy Spirit to give us a comfort and a confidence in the truth. Let me tell you something else. You're never going to give a message to the world if you're not confident in it. If you're questioning it, you're not giving it to somebody else. Let's go to the next slide. This statement continues. Notice, it is through false theories and traditions that Satan gains his power over the mind. This is what we were talking about. We talked about Babylon the other night. You remember? We talked about the paradigm and how the things that we bring into our mind, whether we're watching or reading or whatever else, and we accept as truth, begins to form a foundation. And if what we're accepting as truth is really not truth but error, then everything else that comes into our mind, we test it by our truth. But if our truth is error, Jesus said, if the light is in you as darkness, how great the darkness. This is exactly what this is saying. It's through the false theories and traditions. You know, the devil mixes the truth with error through the wine of Babylon... And what does he do? He undermines the truth and he gains power over our minds. By directing men to false standards, he misshapes the character because what you believe is truth, by beholding we become changed. 
And if I'm imbibing error, I'm taking on the form of that error. And the devil does this subtly. Through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit speaks to the mind and impresses truth upon the heart. Thus, he exposes error and expels it from the soul. Only the Spirit of God can do that. And I'm just giving you a little bit here and there to help you to see all the blessings and benefits of the Holy Spirit, many of which we take little advantage of. The Spirit of truth was given by Jesus to give us that confidence to lead us into the truth. Why don't you go to Romans chapter 8 with me. Now you have probably had the discussion and I am, I am just, again, I'm just very briefly touching on something here in Romans. How many of you have gone through Romans chapter 7 where Paul talks about the things that he wants to do he doesn't do and the things that he doesn't want to do he does do and oh wretched man that I am. Have you been through that before? Uh, and look at it in verse 24 of 7. Romans 7 verse 24 says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Now you know what? I've had some Christians, even Seventh-day Adventists, interpret that as with the mind I serve the law of God, with the flesh the law of sin. You know, I really want to do the right thing, but with my flesh I always sin anyway, but it's going to have to be okay with God. That's just how it is. As that's how Paul was. He said, with the flesh I serve. You know what the problem is? People don't go on to chapter 8. The story doesn't end in chapter 7, folks. Chapter 8 is talking about life in the spirit. Notice what he goes on to say in chapter 8. If we keep on reading. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh. But according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me what? Free from the law of sin and death. Same law, different approach. And I don't have time to get into that. Verse 4. Or verse 3 rather. For what the law could not do and that it was a bad law. Is that what the Bible says? Yes or no? For what the law could not do and that it was what? Weak through the flesh. God did... By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Are you with me so far? Number five, verse five. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Is that a bad thing or a good thing? That's a bad thing. But those who live according to the spirit... The things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So in verse 25 when he says. I through the. Uh, my, in my mind I myself serve the law of God. With the flesh the law of sin. What he's saying is this. If you go and depend on your carnal nature. And you feed your carnal nature. You're always going to go along the path of sin. But you don't have to live according to the flesh. You can live according to the spirit. That's what he describes in chapter 8. The Holy Spirit gives you the option. Of living a different way. Are you following this? I really hope you're seeing this in your Bibles. I do enough preaching to people, and when you don't look it up in your Bible, you know what that means? You just got another opinion out of I don't know how many million in the church today. I want you to see it in the Word of God. I'm not making it up. It says here that the Spirit of God gives us the opportunity to live above the flesh. Yes or no? So in what Paul's 
doing in verse 25 is, who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? My flesh. I thank God through Jesus Christ. So now I know that if I let the flesh lead me, I'm going to go in the path of sin. But if I let the Spirit lead me, I'm going to set my mind on different things, and through the power of the Spirit, I'm going to live above the flesh. And only through the power of the Spirit. How many of you know the name Robin Williams, the comedian? How many of you remember that name? The man who hanged himself just, what was it, a couple years ago now. Hanged himself, committed suicide. You know why? Among other things, at least, he'd struggled with alcoholism for years. I've got a quote. I wish I had brought it with me. He struggled with alcoholism for years. And in an MSNBC interview, he told them these words. He said, you know... He says, you have these habits in your life and it, they make you do stupid and shameful things. And I'm paraphrasing this. And he says, and yet you can't break them. And he, then he said this. He said, you know, you can say you're forgiven and all that stuff. But it's not the same. It's not the same as overcoming it. Let me tell you something. A person who really hates their sin wants to hear more than you're forgiven. They want to know they can overcome it. When you have habits that bring shame to God and his cause, you don't want to just keep going and hey, it's okay, I'll wink at that. Here's a man who, from a total secular standpoint said, hey, you know, you can say you're forgiven, but I want to be a victor over this thing. This is what the Bible tells us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what it's talking about. We can be new creatures in Christ Jesus. All of these things that I've just barely touched on are things that the Holy Spirit makes possible, not in the life only of the early church, but in your life and my life. Go to the next slide. I want you to understand all of this came through the early reign. When the New Testament church started and the Holy Spirit was poured out, it wasn't like a yo-yo where it comes down into the church and then goes back up into heaven until sometime in the future. Notice the statement. The lapse of time has wrought no change in Christ's parting promise to send the Holy Spirit as his representative. It is not because of any restriction on the part of God that the riches of his grace do not flow earthward to men. Next slide. If the fulfillment of the promise is not seen as it might be, it is because the promise is not appreciated as it should be. If all were willing, all would be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, we should be seeing the same power in the church today we see in Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4. And why aren't we? We don't experience the power because we don't ask for it. We don't ask for it because we don't see our need. And I believe we don't see our need because we've developed such a humanistic Christianity today that it's the kind of Christianity you can live in your own power. I mean, let's face it, after you start saying, hey, you know what, we'll never overcome sin. We're always going to have these weaknesses. Well, guess what? So is the rest of the world. And suddenly I don't need divine power to live the kind of Christianity I'm describing. But if I want to live Bible Christianity, you know what? Can't do it without the Spirit of God. And when I convince myself and commit myself to living Bible Christianity, I've got nowhere to go but to my knees and say, Lord, give me your Spirit. And when I ask that, and the need is sensed, if I was willing, I'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, and so would you be. 
We live below our privileges. Next slide. Wherever the need of the Holy Spirit is a matter little thought of. How often do you spend thinking about your need for the Holy Spirit to live a holy life? Wherever the need of the Holy Spirit is a matter little thought of, there is seen spiritual drought, spiritual darkness, spiritual declension and death. Whenever minor matters occupy the attention, the divine power which is necessary for the growth and prosperity of the church. Next slide. And which would bring all other blessings in its train is lacking, though offered in infinite plenitude. And so we've learned to do without the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at the next slide. The reason why there is so little of the Spirit of God manifested is that ministers learn to do without it. That's fearful. And I relate to that all too well. Before I was a pastor, I used to be uh, an electrician. I'm a handy guy. I get out on a job site. I have to figure out how to get the job done. There are times I didn't have the right tool. I make it work. We can do the same thing in spiritual things. We can figure a way to work it out instead of going to the Lord. We set the standard lower, whatever we end up having to do. We learn to do without the Holy Spirit. God forbid. We learn to do without the Holy Spirit. So the early rain was poured out. The early rain is still accessible to the church. If we're not seeing the power of it, it's because we're not sensing our need and we're not asking for it. But then the Bible talked about the latter rain. And the difference between the early rain and the latter rain is that the latter rain would come right before the harvest to ripen the harvest. Now, I don't want you to miss this point. How many times have you been tempted to look at yourself and say, I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere in my Christianity. My walk isn't what it should be. I don't know how I'm going to be. We talk about being ready for Jesus to come this week. And we can start looking at ourselves and saying, oh man, I don't think I'll ever be ready. You know when the Bible talks about Abraham and his experience of righteousness by faith? In Romans chapter 4 it said he did not consider his own body or the deadness of Sarah's womb. You remember that? God promised him a child in their old age. How's that going to happen? His wife couldn't have a child when she was young. She was barren. Now she's barren and past menopause and she's going to have a child? It was doubly impossible. The Bible says Abraham did not consider his own body or the deadness of Sarah's womb. You know what that means to you and me? We too often consider our own weaknesses. Abraham didn't consider his weaknesses. Instead, he considered God's strength. We need to be considering God's strength. I mean, what, what we're going to talk about how weak we are? Hey, pull up a chair. We'll be all, all day long I can tell you about my weaknesses. If I focused on my weaknesses, I'd have no hope. The gospel's not about my weaknesses, it's about his strength. In spite of my weaknesses and in spite of yours. Amen? And here's the thing, the latter rain was the rain that would bring the harvest. You can't expect the harvest yet. Don't look at yourself and expect the harvest yet. Don't expect your character to be ripened yet. The harvest rain hasn't fallen. The latter rain brings the harvest to maturity. I'm going to tell you something. If you're daily walking with Jesus and growing with Jesus, when that harvest rain comes, you're going to be ripe for the kingdom. That's what God promised us. One place that that is represented, and I hadn't seen this for a while. Maybe, maybe you've thought this through, but this just hit me in, I don't know, the last year or so. 
We talked last night about the parable of the ten virgins. You remember that? Right? Five are wise and five are foolish. And the wise virgins, they brought extra oil, but the foolish ones didn't have extra oil. And I'm sitting here late reading that parable, and I'm thinking, okay, we know the oil represents the Holy Spirit, but how do you have extra Holy Spirit? I mean, everybody gets the Holy Spirit. How do you have extra? And I got to thinking to myself, is it possible that that extra oil is their readiness for the latter rain, and when the latter rain come, came, the, the wise received it, and the foolish didn't receive it. Now, that could fit. I, then, I, then I read this statement. Next statement, please. Next slide. If we go to the next slide, please. Near the close of earth's harvest, a special bestowal of spiritual grace is promised to prepare the church for the coming of the Son of Man. This outpouring of the Spirit is likened to the falling of the latter rain. Next slide. Unless God's people keep their lamps trimmed and burning, they will fail of receiving the added grace in times of special need. That's why the five wise virgins were ready. Even though they slumbered and slept, there was a difference. They were prepared for the latter rain when the foolish ones weren't. What makes a difference? What prepares a person for the latter rain. Let's go to the next slide. It says here there must be no neglect of the grace represented by the what? The former rain. I know a lot of Adventists who sit around waiting for the latter rain as if we don't have any power. We got all the power of the early rain. And what it's saying is we cannot neglect that grace represented by the former rain or the early rain. Only those who are living up to the light they have will receive greater light. Let's go back to the harvest and let's think about it. In the practical terms, the early rain came to help the plant to begin to grow. Now let's just say that when that plant first sprouts up out of the earth, say you've got a stalk of corn or something, maybe you have a plant, a wheat plant, and it's you know, just this tiny little thing. And all through the harvest season, it doesn't grow at all. When the harvest rain comes, what's it going to do to that plant? I'm going to tell you, it's going to drown it. It's not going to bring it to harvest. If that plant is not continually growing all season, there's no way the harvest rain is going to get it ready. And so you accepted Jesus. You've been justified by faith. You were born again. But now in your Christian life, you're not making it a priority. You're not growing. You're not growing. You're not growing. You're not growing. You're thinking when the latter rain comes, it's going to fix everything. No, it won't. Unless you're growing now, the harvest rain can do nothing for you. And that's exactly the point that is being made here. Unless we are daily advancing in the exemplification of the, what does it say? The active Christian virtues, we shall not recognize the manifestations of the Holy Spirit in the latter rain. It may be falling on hearts all around us, but we shall not discern or receive it. That should be terrifying to you and to me. That the latter rain would be poured out and I wouldn't even recognize it, let alone receive any of it. Now, I really fought against this, but I added it. I, for sake of time, I wasn't going to, but I had to give in. Because active, she talks about the active Christian virtues. You know there are two kinds of Christian virtues. They're the passive virtues and the active virtues. How many of you are aware of that? The passive virtues, let me, let me show you what I mean in this next statement. Go to the next statement, please. It says, Christian life is more than many take it to be. Can you back up one? Back up one slide, yeah. Before I get ahead of it, let me just ask you this. If you were to describe the character of Jesus, the life of Jesus, his character traits, what would you say? Give me his character traits. 
Jesus, compassionate? What is it? Patient? Steadfast? What is it? Just? Okay, humble, submissive. Now, most of what I'm hearing are what we would call the passive virtues. Kind, gentle, loving. And then as Christians, we say, hey, we ought to be like Jesus. Kind, gentle, loving. And that's true. I'm not denying that. But notice the statement now. From the book Ministry of Healing. Next statement. Christian life is more than many take it to be. It does not consist wholly in gentleness, patience, meekness, and kindliness. These graces are what? Essential, but there is need also of courage. Was Jesus courageous? Force. Did Jesus have, not forceful force, but, you know, stamina, we might say, whatever. Uh, Energy and perseverance. Did Jesus press through difficulties? Sure he did. Some who engage in ministry our missionary service, rather, are weak, nerveless, spiritless, easily discouraged. They lack push. Jesus didn't lack push or he never would have gone forward, right? Next slide. They do not have those positive traits of character that give power to do something. The spirit and energy that kindle enthusiasm. Those who would win success must be courageous and hopeful. They should cultivate not only the passive but the active virtues. You know, many of us spend all of our time on the passive virtues. And don't realize, we say, well, I'm just not that kind of person. I'm a kind of backseat, behind-the-scenes person. That's because you're not cultivating all of the Christian virtues and getting an all-around character. Next slide. While they are to give the soft answer that turns away wrath, the passive, they must possess the courage of a hero to resist evil. With the charity that endures all things, they need the force of character that will make their influence a positive power. Next slide. Some who have, I'm sorry, some have no firmness of character. Their plans and purposes have no definite form and consistency. They are of but little practical use in the world. This weakness, indecision, and inefficiency should be what? Overcome. Next slide. There is in true Christian character an indomitableness. That is, you can't get that, you can't get them down. No matter what comes, that Christian stays steadfast. Indomitableness that cannot be molded or subdued by adverse circumstances. We must have moral backbone and integrity that cannot be flattered, bribed, or terrified. And that describes Jesus to a T, doesn't it? He was never flattered. He was never bribed. It says he wasn't elated by men's applause. And he wasn't discouraged by their rejection. Didn't matter what people thought. He was faithful no matter what. He was not able to be bribed. He wasn't terrified. He stood calm knowing he was going to the cross. As calm as... I mean, Pilate, when Pilate saw him, he couldn't believe this man was so calm in his court. Didn't open his mouth in defense of himself. The active virtues. We need to be daily advancing in our Christian experience. Not just the passive, but the active. If we are not daily growing in our Christianity, when the Holy Spirit comes in latter rain power, we may not even discern it. Last thing I want to share is Revelation chapter 18, and we'll close with this. There's a lot more that that could be said here. Revelation chapter 18. Incidentally, Revelation 18 has a message in it that is not found directly in the three angels' messages. Oops, I'm in the wrong place. Revelation 18, verse 1. The Bible says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, 
having great authority. And notice it says the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen and fallen. And has become a dwelling place of demons, etc., etc. Now, I'm not going to read through all of that. I want you to look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, What? Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. You know, come out of her, my people, is not in the three angels' messages of Revelation chapter 14. It doesn't come in until here. And the Bible depicts this angel coming down, and he's adding his voice of warning to the three angels... And it says the earth is lightened with his glory. In the Seventh-day Adventist, we understand this passage as revealing that light of the Holy Spirit and latter rain power that lightens the earth with his glory and wraps up the three angels' messages. You can see a parallel if you go to Isaiah chapter 60, which I'm not going to take time to do. But I want to read to you just a couple statements here in closing on what's going to happen. And I don't want you to miss this. If you get nothing else from what we've talked about this afternoon, I just want you to understand this. The Lord Jesus is always on your side. He's always on your side. When you go in a wayward direction, he's on your side. He wants to save you. He is always in your corner. He has given you unlimited power and that unlimited power is always for you and the devil knows it better than you know it and better than I know it and so he comes to us and he tries to discourage us and say, oh, give it up. You're never going to make it and God doesn't care about you because you fell to that sin again and blah, 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 blah and it's all a lie of the enemy. The Lord Jesus has given you unlimited power and he will finish the work he started and the Holy Spirit power is available to you to do things that you couldn't imagine. And when we come down to this loud cry, understand this. The harvest rain has not fallen yet. And so there's maturing of your spiritual harvest and my spiritual harvest that is yet to come. And though I look at myself and I don't see it yet in myself, by faith I believe the words of Jesus and I know the time is coming. And I know if I continue to walk with him and trust in him, the harvest will ripen. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 4, when the harvest is ripened, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Jesus will be faithful to us. And not only to us in our experience, but when we go and share with others. How many of you have tried to share with others and you've just gotten nowhere? They rejected you, you got family members, loved ones, and they just don't, they're not making any move towards Christ. Have you had that happen to you before? You've given out literature and nobody reads it. As far as you know. Let me tell you something. The, The latter rain has not fallen and seeds have been planted that we haven't seen the end result of yet. Now notice these last statements. Some of the most powerful statements you will read. Next slide, please. The angel who unites in the proclamation of the third angel's message is to lighten the whole earth with his glory. A work of worldwide extent and unwanted power. This is, this is un, uh, uh, unwanted means uh, abnormal power, unusual power. I would say unprecedented power. A work of worldwide extent and unwanted power is here foretold here in Revelation 18. The Advent movement of 1840 to 1844 was a glorious manifestation of the power of God. The first angel's message was carried to every missionary station in the world. Next slide. And in some countries, there was the greatest religious interest which has been witnessed in any land since the Reformation of the 16th century. But these are to be what? Exceeded by the mighty movement under the last warning of the third angel. Let that sink in. Go read the book of Acts. 
Read about the day of Pentecost. Read about the man, lame man healed on the way to the temple. Read about Peter who's asleep in the jail and an angel comes in and taps him on the shoulder and wakes him up and walks him out in the middle of the street. Read about Paul and Silas in the prison and the earthquake comes and frees them from prison. Read about the mighty miracles and then read what it says here. These movements and the early Advent movement was greater than that. And then you had the Reformation and then these are to be exceeded. By the mighty movement under the last warning of the third angel. You, if I'm reading this right, have the privilege of being alive during the most powerful working that the Holy Spirit has ever done on this earth. I mean, it's amazing. So we talk about the end of time, talk about the time of trouble, we get nervous about things. Don't forget that at the same time, the power of God is going to be poured out as never before. Next slide. The great work of the gospel is not to close with less manifestation of the power of God than marked its opening. The prophecies which were fulfilled in the outpouring of the former rain at the opening of the gospel are what? Again to be fulfilled in the latter rain at its close. Next slide. Servants of God with their faces lighted up. That's you and me. And shining with holy consecration will hasten from place to place to proclaim the message from heaven. By thousands of voices, that's not just the ministers. By thousands of voices all over the earth, the warning will be given. Miracles will be wrought, the sick will be healed, and signs and wonders will follow the believers. Those are the words of Jesus in Mark 16. Next slide. The message will be carried not so much by argument as by the deep conviction of the Spirit of God. The arguments have been presented, the seed has been sown, and now it will spring up and bear fruit. Next slide. The publications, these are the books you gave out, these are the tracts you gave out, distributed by missionary workers have exerted their influence, yet many whose minds were impressed have been prevented from fully comprehending the truth or from yielding obedience. These are people, you don't know why they're not moving yet. God knows why they're not moving yet, and they're about to move. Watch. Next slide. Now, when the latter rain is poured out, the, the rays of light penetrate everywhere, the truth is seen in its clearness, and the honest children of God sever the bands which have held them. Family connections, church relations are powerless to stay them now or to hold them. People have been held back by their pastors. People have family members who say, oh, don't make this decision. They're gonna, those, those ties will be broken. And they're going to come. Next slide. I was going to say what it's going to say here. Truth is more precious then all besides, notwithstanding the agencies combined against the truth, what does it say? A large number take their stand upon the Lord's side. Saints, this is the time we're living in. We're living at the time of the outpouring of the latter rain. We live in the presence of the early rain, and if we don't see the power of it, it's because we're not asking for it. Zechariah chapter 10 verse 1 says, Ask ye rain." In the time of the latter rain, and the Lord will send bright clouds and pour out the showers of rain. We need to start asking. We need to start asking. We need to commit ourselves to Jesus in every day. Don't, let me finish with this. Go to the next slide. 
this is a story, I've shared this story many times, I love this story, you might have heard it before me before, you hear it from me again, because it's one of my favorite stories, the story of a man who, this guy wanted to go on a cruise, I don't know if anybody here has ever been on a cruise, I really am not too thrilled about getting out on the ocean in a cruise boat, but you might be, but this particular guy, he had saved up his whole life to go on a cruise, he wanted to go on a cruise boat, and so he skimped and he saved, he was a single guy, finally got up the money to go on the cruise, bought his ticket, the problem is he spent everything he had on his ticket, he, he didn't have any money left over. He figured, well, I'm not going to have anything to eat on the cruise, but uh, I'll, I'll get something cheap. And he took along peanut butter and crackers. Okay? I mean, you can get by on it. It's not the best, but, it, you know, he figured it'll tide me over, and at least I get to take in the scenes and everything else. I'll make it. Takes his peanut butter and crackers, goes on the cruise. Next slide, please. The problem is when he gets on the cruise, they have this beautiful dining hall, and every day he smells the... Smells come out of the... You ever been really hungry and then you smell food? You guys don't have that. You don't have fellowship. you have fellowship meal here in this church? Do you ever have it where you can smell it in the church? See, your home churches, you may have home churches. We got that little church and then it's like, oh, wow, it's getting the preachers going long and I can smell lunch, right? So he is going by smelling the food coming out of this fellowship hall. Oh, it smells so good. Uh, out of this dining hall, rather. But... Uh, Sorry, I had fellowship all in my mind. But he's, you know, sticks with his peanut butter and his crackers. But one day, he's just, it's, been, it's been all week. He's been on the cruise. He goes on Sundays, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's Thursday. He's been there on that cruise. He's taking a week-long cruise. He's outside the dining hall. Guy comes out, and he's like, man, that was good today. He looks at him. He says, oh, did you, didn't you love the meal today? And he's like, you know, I love to eat it. It smells so good. But he said, you know, I just didn't have money left over to buy the meal tickets. The guy looked at him, kind of puzzled. He said, pardon me? He said, I didn't have money left over to buy the meal tickets. He said, your, your meals are included. Your meals are included in the cost of the ticket. And here the man had been eating peanut butter and crackers all week when he could have been feasting on the food in the dining hall. And the sad reality is that too many of us as Christians are living a peanut butter and cracker existence when the Spirit of God wants to give us so much more. And I want to leave you with that thought today. God has promised you, the Lord Jesus, your Savior, has promised you unlimited power to live a godly life, a Christian life, an everlasting life beginning right here, the abundant life. How many of you want to take him up on that? Is that your desire today? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Father, once again you've spoken through clay. Lord, I just pray that some of what's been said today would resonate in the hearts of your people. That we would realize that we have not been left orphans to try to fight out the Christian life on our own to try to make ourselves into new creatures. But you've given your spirit as a regenerating agent. You've given your spirit to give us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Father, forgive us for living below our privileges. Forgive us for living that peanut butter and crackers existence when we could have so much more. 
And Father, we ask, I ask here for each one of us that you'll help us to remember that we are living in a time now. We have the accessibility to the early rain. We are living in the time of the fulfillment of the latter rain. Lord, help us move on our hearts to ask and to reach the hand of faith higher and higher and to lay hold of the promise of the Spirit. That we may hasten the work you've given us to do in the soon coming of Jesus. We ask and pray these things his name and for his sake. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.